Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Hooked, a show about addiction within the Muslim community. We will explore stories of addiction and recovery from within the Muslim community, talk to experts within the addiction field. We will also explore addiction and recovery from an Islamic perspective. Just want to welcome everyone back to um, to our show about addiction called Hooked, and today we'll be interviewing someone that uh, has worked within uh, drug rehabilitation and the recovery process. And the idea is just to understand a bit more about what's available out there for people that are looking to uh, recover from addiction, and also to encourage people uh, to use the services. So today I've got um, my guest, whose name is uh, Elizabeth, and um, well, as we uh, get on with the interview, we'll learn a bit more about what work Elizabeth's done within the, in the recovery process or rehabilitation. So just to find out about yourself, Elizabeth, you were saying that um, you've worked in three jobs involving the recovery process, yeah? I have. Three main ones I've worked in more, I've worked with families with addictions as well. But um, I worked in a drug rehabilitation unit, which was a 18-month program um, self-help, where you had to you would look at yourself and the things you were affected by in your life that may have been chaotic that led you to using drugs, um, and then learn how to challenge and change your thoughts and feelings and accept emotions. And that was in your uh, drug that, rehabilitation. Yes. Uh, okay. So. Um, so, so how would people be referred usually uh, to that service? It went through, um, there was many, in Glasgow years ago, there was many small addiction services who would refer to the rehabilitation units, and it was funded then, but it's not so much funded now. Okay, um, and you were saying that um, part of it was, uh, it was an 18 month course, wasn't it? It was. And so did people have to stay there for 18 months? Yeah, it was a, a house that held 30 residents. It was structured and run by the residents with staff overseeing things. Um, they worked through one-to-one counselling, um, group work, and many other different things they could do. Right. What was involved? So you imagine if, you know, what would your, your usual sort of service user be like? So when they turned up, um, at the rehabilitation uh, centre, then where, what would the first step be for them when they got there? Well, they would be inducted. Okay. Um, and what it, did that involve? It would involve in, uh, making sure they didn't have any drugs on them, um, urine testing, and checking all their stuff in. And for the first uh, six weeks of the programme, they didn't have any contact with the outside world. Okay. And after that, they had maybe one phone call a month to their families. Right. And is there, was there a reason for that? Was there a reason? To cut ties for your history. Okay. And they allow you to understand and really think that you want to go ahead with this because it was never an easy process. Okay. So it was sort of maybe you have less distractions then, less chance that people go and, yes. uh, oh, come on, just forget that, you know, leave it, yes. come back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And is that part of the agreement that they weren't to have any drugs at all when they were there? No, you're not allowed them in the project at all, drugs or alcohol. And, and what if someone had gone outside and taken something and came back in and they got tested and they were... They'd be asked to leave because they're putting the rest of the community in danger. 
Oh, right, okay. So that was quite a strict thing then? That yes. So, see, but, so I'm just thinking, like, if someone was like, an alcoholic or uh, a drug addict, They'd be basically going cold turkey then, so, or, or had they already Back cut Back in the day when I worked in it, yes, it was. Now they would do tea, a detox. So they'd have a detox before they got to the... They could go through detox there. Right, okay. And then it would be understood that after that, no more drugs, you know. Yeah. And if it's found in your system, you'll be taken off the programme. Mm-hmm. And how successful did you find the programme? Um, so, like, say you've got 30 service users or 30 residents, so... Out of those 30 over the 18 month, how many would actually complete it? I'd say a larger majority than, yeah. than anything. It worked on a structured base because you would go in and you would be an induction. And as I said, the, the service users around the place, so there would be different kind of groups. You would go into, you would have maintenance, and that would be a group of people. You'd have a, a head of maintenance, an assistant head, and a crew. And okay. it kind of put you into a workplace type thing with your responsibilities. Okay, right, yeah. Um, and then you would move on a an intermediate phase, which is where um, you were like in the middle of your programme and then you'd move on a resettlement where you move back into the community, but in a, still in the same setting, but less staff around. Uh, maybe you go and do voluntary work. Okay. A couple of days a week, but you'd still, maybe three days a week, you'd have your groups to come back to see how you coped with that and be guided that way. Alright, okay, so it's sort of slowly integrating people back into yes. the community, so you're kind of getting cut off of the community so that you can focus on yourself and your addiction and anything underlying, but uh, get you into a structure maybe that you've not been into before of working and yeah. um, taking and on some responsibility. Aye. Or maybe getting into a routine as well. Yes. Is that uh, and then uh, later on as you're progressing and you're managing to deal with your issues it's then sort of going right okay you're going to have to go back into the community and let's stay in stages yeah. rather than just you know, going yeah. right that's it leave and you know you're on your own no no it didn't work like that yeah. uh, within that that setting a group you could at your meetings put a me- memorandum and ask it to do a higher position which would challenge yourself and things like somebody that wasn't very confident giving them the responsibility of being overseen a crew and see how they deal with challenges in a safe environment. Yeah. Um, and then as they move through the main house, they would go into re-entry, um, which is a, a stage before they finally move into the new flat. And for another 12 months after that, they still have the support of the staff at their discretion. They're not round about them. You would need to travel to them, but they're available for you. So, so when would that happen, at the end of the 18 month or at the... the end of the 18 month you'd move into the entry. And then you'd still have a year where you could where you come could, back. Yes. So it's all in all, it's like two and a half year then yes. uh, of support. That's, that sounds really good. And when the guys were there, was it all men or was it women? No, or? mixed. It was mixed, right. Yeah. And, you know, what were... What were the main reasons, or what were the first of all, what were the main things they were addicted to? Was it heroin? Was this everyone that, that was here was for? Me, at, at the beginning, when I first started in it, it was a lot of heroin, crack cocaine, yeah. uh, heroin and cocaine. Sorry. Heroin and cocaine. Okay. And was there anything that you picked up, you know, uh, throughout it? You thought, you know, what? There's a pattern of how people end up here, or was it just, you know, everyone had different stories? People had different traumas in life. Um, 
would you say it'd be most of them it, it was trauma? There was some trauma, trauma involved? Trauma in one way or another, yeah. Okay. And are there any examples of obviously we're not, we can't you know, uh, mention any names or anything, but are there any types of trauma that were... Uh, you... Yeah, there was a lot of sexual abuse. Okay. Um, both to fe- male and female, it doesn't just happen to females. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of um, dysfunctional families. Okay. Due to addictions with parents or... So the parents were addicted and that was Maybe alcohol or issues in, pra- in their younger life and the kids were brought up in that. Okay. Right. Um, and then as they progressed throughout the, um, throughout the time that they were there, what were the courses kind of like that they were doing or the group work that they were doing? Or the well, it was went? challenging behaviours. It was um, maybe working on breakdowns in families and um, so what, what would you mean like trying to help people sort the relationships out or, or deal with at certain stages of your recovery yeah if if there was breakdowns in your family and you wanted re- to rebuild that and you got yourself to a position where you felt that you were strong enough to do so there would be liaison through staff and families to have yeah. meetings to make this work okay if that's what their wishes were. Yeah, so it was a part that dealt with relationships. And what about the actual uh, drug use, like getting people to... Did, did, was there a process of trying to get people to understand why they were turning to drugs? Yeah, you do your life story. Okay. And your induction, and you look at certain areas in your life and you see what you need to work in. And then you work on that with your, your staff member, that maybe a key worker or whatever you're allocated to. But there was also an option of peer support where you could do one to one with um, the residents who maybe were at a higher level than you. Alright, okay. And maybe could do one to one counselling. And that that was quite helpful because when you feel lost at the start and you can look and see somebody that's halfway through and the progression they've made kinda of wills you on. Right, okay. And and I'm guessing for the person that was further along the fact that they were able to offer support to someone that just come in, that was part of their process of recovery as well. So so eventually the guy that <clears throat> had come in maybe six months a year down the line would actually be uh, now offering support to yeah. people that were coming in. Well, that, that sounds really good. And um, what other issues were they looking at? So they were looking at maybe their, their story, uh, why they um, why they were taking uh, drugs, maybe sorting out problems with family members, relationships. You were also getting them involved in getting into a routine and work. Yeah. Was there anything else that, that, that you did or that was offered there? There was, was all activity and stuff went on as groups. It built your confidence um, in being out and challenging, like physically. Um, it, was in, it was in Sheffield, so you were near the Yorkshire Moors and stuff, so you would go out and climb mountains and challenge yourself physically in that way and that also approved the attitude. Okay, so would you, so you, so would you say then that uh, people that were addicted that were there, they also had like maybe confidence issues Low or self-esteem? Low self-worth. And so by doing things like that and achieving things, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. they hadn't done that in their life so this is the first time they were actually going, I can do this, you know, yeah. um, which, which then helped them later on. It helped them believe in themselves a bit more. Yeah. And what about uh, once people left and they got their one year support? How many people? Do you, was there any way of knowing if 
people were still staying clean or? You still had were allowed to have contacts and and a lot of the people went into working in it. Oh, so they actually left um recovered and then, and then after start. a year of stability in the community then where it was no longer a crutch for them, they could come back and work. So you were saying that you'd uh, previously worked um, in a, as an assistant manager in an alcohol dry house. So what did that involve? What, what is an alcohol dry house? It's a, a residential unit that had six beds with it and there was no alcohol allowed at all. We went through the referral process of maybe visiting people in the hospital that were ready to come um, they, or they would have to go through a detox before they came there. Um, and that was predominantly men. Okay. Um, and again, it worked through group work and teaching them living skills, like budgeting, cooking, cleaning. They took responsibility for tasks within the unit, um, and staff would support them socially, where it was alcohol-free. Okay. So what's that like having a social night, but just? Enjoying yourself without alcohol? Well, just a place where there's no alcohol involved. Okay. Um, right, so how long would people usually stay there? About yeah. 12 months, and then they'd move so on to their own tenancies and they'd be supported in that. Alright, okay. So it's kind of similar to the drug rehabilitation, but it's, it's, it's a, a year smaller is, scale. Yeah, a smaller scale. A smaller scale in it, um, a year instead of a year and a half. And did they get any support once they left? Or was it kind of a year and by that time they were into their own house and running their own life? No, no, they still had support because um, it's easier to switch off for the drug scene than it is to switch off for alcohol because it's in every advert, every newspaper, every billboard, every television programme. All right. So it's a lot harder. You can move yourself for the scene, you know. Yeah. And move yourself for society. No, exactly. You're not going to walk along the street and you're going to see an advert for... Uh, cocaine or heroin, mm. but um, you go down to your local supermarket where you need to go to or your shop. Or your newspaper. Or uh, your newspaper and you're going to see, right, six bottles for this or mm. whatever. And that's a, a temptation. Very much so. So you're saying that staying, out, staying off of alcohol is probably um, harder than, um, than getting off of drugs? I don't know if it's harder. I would say coming off them is the easy part. Staying off them is the harder okay. part. And that's believing in yourself and taking your teachings with you. Yeah. Okay. And did any of the... Um, I know that there's like organisations that Alcoholics Anonymous and they've got their 12 steps to the recovery. Uh, was that involved in the no, dry house? No. no. It was something uh, something different? Was it, it was different? different for that. Okay. No problem. Because usually people would just assume that oh, if you're an alcoholic, you've got the Alcoholics Anonymous. But there are other services uh, that are available. Um, it was Sheffield Alcohol Recovery Service. Okay, because um, the reason I'm mentioning that there's different services is sometimes uh, you'll find someone will use one service and maybe it doesn't, they just don't like it or it doesn't work for them. But that doesn't mean that they necessarily need to give up. There might be another service out there that has a different approach mm-hmm. which might work for you. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. And um, the job that you're doing, you'd also mentioned you'd worked with families in addiction. I did. Yeah? And what, what was that? How did that work? I worked with the health visitors in Glasgow who worked with children under the age of five and their parents may have had addictions or mental health issues and I would support them in their recovery 
to enable the child a better start and, me, and maybe set up nursery places and groups and things to keep the parents busy in the daytime. Okay, so so was it primarily working with the kids or was it the parents or was it a bit of both? Both. Both. So how would you work with the kids? Like, how would that work? You know, what what would you what would you do? Because um, like the parents are taking are taking alcohol or drugs, right? So that's understandable. You, they've got issues to deal with. But um, and I can understand like for a previous show that we did, kids are, can be traumatised and really affected by seeing their parents because the parents are not functioning normally. Um, but how would you then uh, help the kids? Or would that be like getting places in nursery and that for them? Well, a lot a lot of kids do have behavioural things. Um, I actually what. Um, through the programme, Positive Parenting Programme, okay. where I was qualified to teach the parent how to effectively use the Disciplinary Act to change behaviours in children. Yeah, in a um, positive way rather than just yes. shouting at them or hitting yeah. them. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. That sounds good. And then the job that you're currently doing at the moment, um, you'd said that it's working for addictions but when you'd gone along, you'd realised that it actually involved mental health. But that actually worked in your favour? Yeah. No, what happened was, it was when I seen the advert, um, it was it advertises drug and alcohol. But when I actually went for the interview, the main diagnosis was mental health. People with long-term mental health conditions moving into the community. And for myself personally, I'd experienced two nervous breakdowns in the later part of my life and kind of fell into the job and um, I believe that having the insight and experience allowed me to be a more effective worker. Yeah, so so you, so you were saying that because you'd had some breakdowns yourself so from the mental health aspect you could relate more to the people that were that were struggling um, but it seems that all the kind of like the four jobs that you've done have all involved addiction so is there a reason why you've personally chosen to work in addiction services? Well, yeah, struggles in my own life. Um, and I can see these things now that I didn't see then. I was an orphan for the age of seven. Uh, brought up with my auntie and uncle in a very chaotic household. And became, started using drugs at the age of 13. Um, and ten years later, when... I decided that I needed to change. I went to the rehabilitation that I spoke about that I worked in. The one in and, Sheffield? Yes, okay. and I'd done my programme there. And then I became a relief worker. And then they asked me if I would do run the women's groups. Okay. Um, talking about just female issues that arise in, a female, in, in life. Um, and I worked in that and for then I moved on to the alcohol rehabilitation primarily same feeling different drug. Okay. Uh, same issues, same chaoticness. Um, and then um, I recovered for that and I became involved in a violent relationship where I returned to Glasgow and brought my two kids up myself. Um, and doing various jobs then I had my breakdowns. And recovered for that. That's now 16 years ago, so yeah. I could safely say um, drugs weren't working for me. Um, and I eventually get electric shock treatment 
and I could safely say I've never looked back. Okay. So I'm getting the electric shock treatment was for the mental mm-hmm. health issues and not for the, the, the drug addiction? No, I'd, no, I'd recovered from that. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, when my life was chaotic and there was violence in my relationship and I was looking after two kids and I was doing three jobs, I got by, it was when things settled down, it just folded. Oh, right. And that's how I can look back and see where it started now. Yeah, okay. I can see how my life went the way it went. Yeah, all right, okay. And what kind of things were you addicted to yourself? So you I was addicted to heroin and cocaine. Heroin and cocaine. So, but at 13, I'm guessing, you didn't start taking heroin and cocaine at 13? I started taking tablets. Taking tablets. What kind of tablets was that? Was that uh, um... DF1, one so they called at the time. Okay. What would they be called today, do you know? Is it... Still D. Uh, is that diazepam and stuff no. like that, or is it... Um... Dehydrocodine. All right, okay. Yeah. Well, actually, on the previous, uh, what was it called, show for this, um, there's actually uh, a story of a woman whose brother, he was addicted to that as well. Unfortunately, he actually passed away because of it, um, at quite a young age, because his body just couldn't take it anymore. Which And they're prescription drugs, aren't they? Yeah. Aye. Which is... You don't always think of that, that prescription drugs can be um, as lethal as, you know, illegal drugs. Well, you'd be surprised to know that 20 paracetamols are guaranteed death in 40 years. Aye, I know, but you don't, you don't <laughs> you always think... And you can go and buy that exactly. for 16 pence. Aye. So, okay, that gives us an understanding. And you were saying at 13 you took uh, these tablets and then... Um, it got worse, so you're saying, where did it go from there then? From So you went from, from tablets Taking to... Taking tablets to sniffing solvents, okay. to snorting heroin to injecting it. Okay, it's just got worse and worse, and then at 23 you went, right, that's it, I need to... I had to, I would have died. Yeah, and that's when you went to the uh, drug rehabilitation? I tried many times in Glasgow, I couldn't do it. I had no. to remove myself. Okay, so, all right, so you actually went from Glasgow to Sheffield, and that was where you were able to... Mm-hmm. Uh, use the rehab and it worked for you? It did. Uh, so you could basically say that that kind of service is something that saved your life then, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, um, my next question is that um, if somebody is addicted and they want to get out of that addiction, what advice would you give to that person? What, what do they need to do? They would need to get themselves referred to a service and be prepared to put hard work in because you only get in what you put you only get out what you put in so it's not something that the service isn't something that can be done to you or for you no it's a self self recovery with with the help of the needs yeah and a lot of it is it's going to be difficult you know absolutely it's not going to be a walk in the park uh, maybe looking at your life and there's times you want to run away. Yeah, but the, there is light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So if you hang on and and go with the rocky times, it will get easier. Yeah, and then after that, you can have a normal life. You can get yourself back together, and, and not only that, but you can actually then be in a stage like you're at yourself, where uh, you're settled in your life and you're actually able to help others? I'm 28 year clean and came back to Glasgow where I had my issues but back then I didn't realise it was 
the way I behaved in Glasgow, it was the issue and not Glasgow itself. Okay. Um, and I successfully raised two kids and worked full time and with the dream of putting a drug in my mouth for my arm or anywhere. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your your time. You know, I'm sure that when this goes out, it will be uh, helpful for for others. So, thank you very much. I'm going to conduct an interview with uh, two people from the Muslim community um, that are involved uh, within an addiction support service. So it's uh, Sister uh, Nasreen and Brother Nadeem, and they're from Minorities Communities Addiction Support Service, so or MCAS, uh, which is a bit easier to uh, pronounce. So inshallah, we'll use MCAS uh, as we move forward. So today we want to cover, um, or we want to discuss uh, recovery from addiction, and uh, we'll look at uh, challenges and the services that are available for um, BME communities. So first of all, uh, any of you can answer this, it's just an open discussion. Um, what does your organisation do? Um, MCAS was started, or Minority Communities Addiction Support Services, was started in 2012 because there was no service for Apani people, you know, for Apani societies. I started it and uh, one of the reasons why I did start it was, A, I had a brother who was affected by addiction, who we sadly lost now, and also B, because I've always worked in addictions, every time I spoke to um, a family member of the BME community, they were always asking questions. And I thought, well, we need to put something in place now so that other people have got the same support and services, um, as well as, um, you know, mainstream organisations, how they supply services, we need something. Okay, so this has been, uh, this was started in uh, 2012, yeah? Yeah. And um, okay, what what do, what does your organisation do then? What kind of support does it offer? Um... Okay, it's a registered charity. We support people in their own homes. We support. Um, we tried a, a various um, various different um, techniques and activities. But what that what which one that does work is outreach. We go to people. We go to people either in their homes um, or can meet them somewhere. You know. Um, to keep them safe, we we um, we go to them. Okay, so 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 no problem. So you're saying that uh, when you go to them um, for outreach, so what is it? Is it just like a someone that's there to listen, or um, you know, if so, for example, like if I came to you and I had an addiction issue, and I contacted your organisation, mm -hmm. then when you came out to visit me or we met somewhere. Mm -hmm. What, what would you do? What would you be offering? Well, look, if the first initial visit is usually information collecting, getting to know each other, learning about the problems, how long the problems have been going on, and then looking at ways of how we can put support in. Support can be one-to-one, -one, just listening, offloading. It can be partnership working with different agencies. It can also be um, you know, a referral route to a community addiction team. If, if that person is the person that's directly affected. Uh, it can be a variety of things. Some people are living in poverty and it can even be you know, helping them with their benefits and improving their lives, you know, whatever's going on in their life. So it's all needs-based. Okay, Jazakallah, her sister for that. So, um, Nadine, did you want to come in and say something? Yeah, Assalamu Alaikum. Um, 
Yeah, I just wanted to kind of elaborate on on the service. So I've I've just started. Um, I think it's been about three months now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just started about three three months ago. My my, my background's been working in um, with the youth, um, and I came into this job because uh, it excited me. It was quite. It was it was it was a role where you know I can kind of expand my capacity, and uh, I've I've touched on prison work and I've also touched on um, addictions work with uh, with young people within the BMU community so um, the, outreach serv- the outreach service that we offer it's um, it's unique in the sense that there is no other service that, that caters for BMU communities when it comes to addictions and um, it's, it's, it's not just for young people, it's for everyone it's, um, it's for everyone in the community so we've got people that are aged um, you know 60 plus and we've also got young people and we've got I mean, most of our um, clients are middle-aged. Um, so when I say middle-aged, around 25 to 40. 25 middle-aged? Uh, 25 to 40. It depends on what you think middle-aged is. Uh, yeah, so, um, so I know what you mean. You've got, yeah. very, you've got the very young, the very old, and then you've yeah. got people in the middle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a range. But the, the interesting thing for me is that um, when I came into this work, um, it made me realise how huge the problem is, how big the problem is, because working just with one minority group, which was the, the you know, the young people, and now looking at it across the board, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of, you know, taking me quite aback, thinking, right, we're, I mean, Glasgow's quite a small community compared to, you know, communities in, you know, Birmingham or, you know, the rest of the UK, and, but to see how many of our people in the community, male and female, that are struggling every day um, when it comes to uh, homelessness, addictions, um, mental health, um, things around even your kind of day-to-day life, independent living skills, because, you know, the ones that are in recovery, um, you know, just to give an example, we've got, you know, what we call in our community the anti-Gs, and one of the things that I realised, you know, working with Badi Nassim is that um, they have severe addictions, um, like even for example, prescription tablets, um, and uh, they don't get any support because they've, you know, the kids have grown up. They're kind of older than me, um, you know, above the age of twenty-five, <laughs> and uh, they are. Um, you go back to the middle age. <laughs> <laughs> are you, have you had a, a midlife crisis or something? <laughs> not, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they're alone. I mean, these um, elderly women are alone. They're not. They're not. Their their anxiety levels are so high that they're they're afraid of asking for support, and you know the whole stigma attached to it as well. That you know you'll see an anti G and and um, people kind of assume that she's okay, but but really she's not. And that's you know the last kind of six years. That's the kind of um, really supportive work that Badina seems been doing and. Me coming in now, I've seen I've seen guys that are my age, born and bred in Glasgow, really privileged backgrounds, good good upbringing. Went some of them went to private school, and you look at their kind of um, their family makeup, and you, you know you'd never. I mean, I've seen it before with young people, but then um, a lot of people that that you know the layman would never ever think that you know what this guy's got. You know, he's an ex heroin addict, or he's he's on cocaine, um, and but he's go he's going about his life every day as if everything's fine, um, and it's just um, it's just a, it's it's just a matter of time. Something's going to happen. Yeah. Something's going to go wrong. Well, well, I mean, like you know, you hear about um, how uh, 
it's a culture among some of the bankers, you know, oh. that those people in, you know, stressful jobs as well, yeah. uh, where they've got a lot of money and uh, so they're, they're maybe not using the, the everyday stuff, the, the cheaper stuff, but it's the more high-end oh. cocaine yeah. and stuff that you, uh, that maybe people couldn't afford, you know, yeah. the ordinary person couldn't afford, but so they're using it and they're actually mm -hmm. functioning yeah. somehow, uh, holding down their jobs and all that, but on the side, yeah. they're binging on these things uh, and they're addicted. Okay, so it, it just uh, anyone, whoever would like to come in, I just want to find out um, a bit more about you know your day-to-day -day job. So. Well, what I'm seeing now is, uh, going back to what Nadine says, about the males that are in their 30s, 30s to 40s, they are married, they've got wives, they've got parents, and they've also got children. So what we need to look at now is the effects on these children. I see a lot of children living in poverty with a lot of issues, living in addiction, not knowing, you know, what a supposedly normal family is supposed to be. You know, the father's coming and going with the addiction, the mum doesn't know how to deal with it. You know, um, they just, it's, it's heartbreaking because they just stand on the sidelines and watch everybody else having a, um, a mum and a dad, you know, and everything's okay in their home, where it's not like that for them, you know, yeah. and they're having to deal with a lot of issues themselves where, you know, um, a child of that age shouldn't, shouldn't be subjected to it. So yeah. that, you know, it continues into the next generation, they're usually the fourth, fifth generation. So we need to look at these children and see what we can put in place to make them healthier for tomorrow. Yeah, so because you were saying that is a part of your, your services. It's not just uh, working with the person who's addicted, but it's also supporting their families, which could be their partner, their parents, yeah. their children. Um, and we're going to get onto that later on, inshallah, the, mm. the, the work that you do uh, to support the families. Yeah. Um, to, but to the moment, we, if we can, just at the moment... Um, to answer your question about how, what is it that we do on a daily basis? Yeah, on a, basis, on a daily yeah. basis, with, so, with regards to the, the person who's um, addicted. Addicted. So, so, so the service is, um, I mean, I've came in, uh, I mean, like I said, quite... But like quite recently, however, the service traditionally, it's um you know you know Bajinas seems done a lot of work around um partnership working. She's she's um she's managed to uh, make some good like really good established links. So you're oh. talking about organisation like family outside. Uh, you've got Scottish Prison Service. You've also got um the cat the, team, the CAT team uh, which are part of the social work service. So yeah, um, they're all there and they know about us. They know that we're a small kind of charity, uh, like doing our bit. Uh, now what we're doing is um, we're expanding our referral routes. So we're working not only with um, you know the like but like basically we're trying to get a range and because one of the things that we've we've looked at is. Uh, our uh, our voice isn't getting heard, like um, or, or the BME voices aren't getting heard, and they're not in the right. Uh, well, they're not getting out there to the right, uh, the, like to the relevant people. So we've got we've got established partnerships. However, um, the work is still there. There are a lot of people coming through, but a lot of it is, seems to be through word of mouth. So to give an example, um, one of the things that. Um, you know, and, and it's been a really positive thing for MCAS is that we've done events. The events have been, you know, kind of women-only events, and it's it's um, the kind of whole ethos behind it is that women get together, which do have some type of addictions attached or connection, maybe a cousin, maybe a neighbour or, or a family, uh, or, or it might be the person themselves, but 
it's um, it's exclusive for them and it's basically a chill out. It's a, it's, it's a time for them to relax. Um, the reason for I mean now the organisation we're working with they they know the we've got about kind of two hundred you know women attending these events and we do them like every quarterly yeah every quarterly and um, now what's going on is that the recovery uh, the, the the kind of recovery world they're starting to find out that we're doing this piece of work so now they're asking you know can we um, do some stuff around partnership working and and. Uh, you know, come up with a, a, a recovery cafe, for example. So the last meeting we had was in uh, in Bathgate with um, Serenians, which is a um, a, a well-known organisation within the kind of addictions and homelessness um, arena. And one of the things I said in that meeting was that the the BMU community is very young when it comes when it in terms of addictions. When when you look at the Scottish white community, uh, if you look at areas like Easterhouse, Drumchapel. Um, they've they've been through, you know, from start to you know recovery, um, over the last 60, 70 years. Mm, um, we're we're the only organisations that's doing this this type of work that's primarily working with BME communities. Yeah. Um, and so, sorry, I know I'm going out, but basically the day to day stuff is um, it's, and in, in, in my own words, in my own opinion, it's basically listening to the person. It's, it's listening to the person and not and being non-judgmental. That's the biggest thing. Um, I've I've got a client I'm working with just now, and we you know we've built a really good relationship. So um, that's one of the key things. And one of the things he constantly says to me now is that um, you know you're so different to to other um, services because you've never once said to me, Nadim, um, stop. Like stop, you know, stop your um, whatever you're doing. So he's he's a cocaine addict, and he's saying, you know, you've never said to me just stop. And I've said to him so many times that that's not what MCAS does. We're here to support you no matter what. So there's Look no. Look at the root of the problems yeah. and the behaviours and everything else. Yeah, it's always that. I mean, for me, it's I mean, with the clients I'm working with just now, um, it's, there's always an underlying thing, and I always try and find out what it is um, that's going on for them. So whether that be uh, someone who's living on their own and they're homeless to someone who's got a well-established family. Um, and I think that's the that's another key difference between our service and any other service. A lot of the white community, you'll find that a lot of um, like a lot of their addicts or a lot of their service users are, are alone and they are, you know, they don't have anything. But on, on our side, we've got so many people that are, you know, living with their families They'll, they'll be married, they've got kids, and that's a difficult job. I would rather have someone that's not got anybody, because then you can focus on you know, the goals and focus on where they want, you know, how to get off or uh, wean them off the whatever they have. But with someone who's got a family around them, it's, it's difficult because you're dealing with different dynamics. So you're having to have the skills, the skill set as a, as a support worker to be able to manage all that, so mediation, um, you know, trying to work with you know different family members. Different family members. It's a, it's 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 challenging. Um, but I think if if I wasn't passionate about the job, I wouldn't be in it. And not everyone can do this type of work. Um, but so far, so far, so good. Yeah, he's got the golden star. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's it. You've got your you've got yeah. your, your seal of approval. No, alhamdulillah. So, I mean, this is a thing as well that people maybe don't understand is that. Um, you know, there are addiction services out there, right? I mean, why 
why couldn't a, a Muslim woman or a woman from an ethnic minority or a man just walk through and use those services? I mean, if they're there, surely, is it not just a one-size-fits-all? A, a one well, Would that not just work? Or? Well, I've been, my, my passion has been since 2007 to set up a service for, for Apple people because there was nothing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm new to Glasgow, you know, I'm Yorkshire born and bred. So in the time I've been up here, I've seen no change, no change in, um, you know, any services being provided. The only change I have seen is the increase of family members and people affected by addiction. You know, that number's grown. And you're not just talking one generation now, you're talking three, four, five generations in one family affected. So it had to be done because if you think about um, um, a mother figure who can't speak any English, how is she going to go to uh, a Western service and say, I've got this problem? Communication is the biggest issue. Understanding, you know, cultural understanding is traditions. How can somebody from the Western world understand things like that? You know, arrange marriages, you know, I have to do this because this is the way things are. In the Western world, you know, it's it's your life, you choose what you want to do. We don't, we don't have some of these privileges, so we can understand how families work, how, you know, they cope with different issues and the reasons behind it. So we go in, it's confidential as well, because obviously in the Asian world, you know, confidentiality, oh, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> confidentiality. So it's working because we can relate to our communities. I can relate and I guess to that must have, And I guess that must have been quite difficult, building up that confidentiality like yeah. people to trust you to go right okay i really yeah. you know what i'm saying now won't end up spread uh, as happens sometimes yeah. so nothing gets spread everything's confidential you know um even speaking to family members if i'm working with somebody who's got family members and it's very very difficult to keep their boundaries and we always say i will only speak to a family member if there's a risk to your life you know, if something needs to be told because there's a danger. Apart from that, you know, um, open communication is always the best way and it does work, but in some cases sometimes, you know, you can only work with that one person and family members, you know, um, only get told as and when. Yeah, the con confidentiality is a funny one, especially in um, uh, kind of South Asian fa family households. Um, uh, like, I've experienced it so many times where, because I'm born and bred in the South Side and some of the families that you meet, they... You know, they end up. You, you, you know, you get um, what's the word for it? You get um, interrogated by the parents as, okay. a, as a support as a support worker because yeah. they see you know they see a brown face, they recognise it, and then they're like you know, uh, what's your dad's name? What's your mum's name? What's your grandparents' name? Where did you come from? Pakistan? Where did you stay? Yeah. And sometimes you think, wait a minute, are they looking for a rista or are yeah. they? Am I yeah. here to support? That, but, and then once you get past that, then it's the whole thing. Right, I want but, you to tell me everything. Yeah. Right, I'm gonna tell you everything. Right, but keep it between me and you. And but then all of a sudden you find out that they've told someone else in the family, and then they're and mm. they've picked up the phone and they're talking to you and saying, you know, he told me this. He said he told me that you told him this. What's going on? Why are you giving him this advice? So it's it's that's that's another area. And then it's and if you've got partners there, so you've got social work sitting there. Or if you've got an, another kind of addiction service who's who's in partnership with you, what they'll say to you is, you know, it's, you know, like to, like being totally open and honest. They'll say, get the white person out of the house. Get that white person who's who's a social worker or who's an addiction worker. I just want to work with you. But but that is important. I mean, like, uh, I guess that's why 
you know, I had asked the question, you know, shouldn't there be a one-size-fits-all approach? But that doesn't work because, uh, you know, we know from the communities that we're from, the way that they work, the way they may perceive people outside of their own community. So therefore, you know, you need to really understand that if you're going to be able to deliver a good service. I think I think there needs to be a, a like a, a two-pronged approach. See with the BME communities. I mean, we're we're doing our bit, and um, look, I'm not I'm not an expert in the whole field. There's people out there that are that have been doing this for years and years, um, but. I mean, one of the things that um, MCAS has been doing and something that we're promoting as well is um, we have a, B, a BME and Culture Diversity Training, which um, MCAS has already um, delivered to some of the partners, so WISE Group being one of them. Um, and the reason for that is because we're going out and we're saying to them, listen, this is what's going on in our communities. And we, you know, if you came on board with us as, as a partner, um, you know, we can do a, you know, a, a, a really good piece of work with, with, with these communities. We know exactly what's, I mean, like so one of the stems, yeah. uh, like the thing that stems from that is that, and this is my experience from my previous work, as soon as you go into a household, you get a referral from social work, for example, or Police Scotland, and the first thing that they'll, uh, you know, if they see a brown face, they'll say, it's like a sigh of relief. Yeah. Oh, thank God, he's one of us, right? Yeah. And then automatically, you know, you you know, I'm I, like I'm waiting for it. I, like I look at my watch and we'll see how long is it going to take for them to say get this guy out, get mm-hmm. you know, get the social worker out, or you know, do something so then we don't need to deal with them. And ninety percent of the time, you know, it's not with every family, but ninety percent of the time, I explain to them. I goes, look you have to work with them. That's the only way that things are going to move yeah. forward. So there's a bit of educating the community yeah. as educating well. Educating the fact, yeah. But the thing is that you could do that because you, they've got your trust. They've got, yeah. Whereas it's, it's uh, about someone else couldn't do that. And I just want to also add in, through like one of the mentioned before, <clears throat> I've built up so many networks with different organisations. MCAS is now becoming a bridging service. That means for the, the divide from the Western world to the Apennau world, we can be that mediator or we can be that voice in, in between both uh, communities. Yeah. For the Apani um, people to get the support, or for the Western, you know, organisations to deliver that support, areas like the community addiction team, obviously, we can help somebody link in yeah. there, or you know, even with the GPs and social work, we can be that body in between in that can help that process. I think, I think I, another. I'll just to, just sorry, before we yeah. move on, just for some of the listeners, right? Uh, the word Apana uh, that's been used is, is referring to uh, the Asian community and the word, and the word, and the word anti-G is uh, referring to elderly, yeah, elderly uh, Asian, women. Asian women so no that's fine it's the okay. Apana thing I was going to say um, I think it's important to, to kind of understand what we mean by Apana it's, it's, it's not just the Asian world because it's, it's, what we're finding now is like um, the, 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 there's a lot of areas that are mixed race and but the thing is, they, they still come under the Muslim mm. household. So, yeah. uh, you know, you might have a revert family, you might have Somalian, Moroccan, you know, anybody from any family, but most of them tend to come forward to us. Be- and, and this is when uh, a referral from social work or families outside or another organisation. And the truth is, is they, they've tried, it's like three strikes and out for them, for these organisations working with them, because they've got very very little understanding about the culture so they'll they'll go in and say right okay it's 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 faith-based so it's a muslim household so i'll make sure i take the shoes off before i go in the house that's Some that's the only yeah. yeah that's the only knowledge they've got and i, I know i know and th- this is no dig to any organization mm. but 
what we're saying is that when we work in partnership, we re, like we've got links, so we've got we links. We can with help the, them understand. Yeah, yeah. We've got links oh, yeah, with the mosque. We've got links with X, Y, and Z. So it, it's um it's 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 a much more stronger approach when you do it in partnership. Yeah. I want to move on now to talk about uh, what issues uh do the families face, families that you work okay, with. Okay. Well, um, one of the issues that family faces, and I think um it's very very difficult for our families. Um, because on one hand they're facing the issues around addiction, you know, poverty, addiction, behaviour, um, domestic abuse and, um, you know, children suffering. But on the other hand, um, they also face the stigma, you know, within our communities. Yeah. You know, they're, they're suffering silence, which is quite heartbreaking because nobody wants to tell their neighbour or their family member, my husband, my son, my father is doing ABC. And, and so it's a double whammy for, um, you know, our communities. So there's a lot of isolation, it, There's a lot is of isolation, exactly, because they don't know where to go. Who do they talk to? Who do they tell? And also the big part is, you know, well, we're not supposed to be doing this. We're not supposed to be living this way. He's not supposed to be drinking. He's not supposed to be taking drugs. But it's happening in our families. So how can we put our hand up or maybe go to the mosque and say, you know, it's happening when we're not supposed to be doing it? And I guess uh, this is something else that we're learning as well, that... The mosques aren't always necessarily the best places to go to because, I mean, if they've got no experience in uh, addictions, then, you know, okay, they can give them some, uh, you know, pastoral sort of support and their prayers and stuff like that, good wishes. Mm -hmm. But but actually, this is something that needs people that uh, know what they're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, because you need to have these professionals. Otherwise, we've seen many, you know, failed attempts where yeah. someone just says, okay, you know, I don't know, go for Hajj or something like that, or, yeah. you know, and it, it will be yeah. okay. See, sometimes when a person is crying out for help, I have seen addicts crying their eyes out, breaking their heart, saying to me, why can I not be a good Muslim? You know, and that, again, is another burden. Because, you know, if they are a Muslim, they know exactly what Islam means to them, and they're so far from it. And that is another... You know, an area that they cannot forgive themselves. So for somebody to say, well, go and do the Hajj, go and do the Namaz, they already know, you know, that they're so far away from that. Um, and, it, and it's quite devastating when you see a person like that, knowing that with so much power in Islam, that addiction still holds them and can't help them move closer, do you know? Yeah, and to understand that, it's so difficult for that person. Well, well we had that covered in a previous uh, show where we had an imam on who's also a was also a consultant psychiatrist and he talked a bit about mm. about that um, but again the thing is that you know uh, religion is you know is there and I guess it, sometimes it depends on what way you look at it to be able to take something from it I was listening to a sheikh who was talking about um, he's actually a psychologist as well and he was actually talking about how when he reads the Quran and he listens to the stories of like the Prophet Muhammad peace upon him but he looks at it from a point of view of uh, psychology you know yeah. and how the Prophet dealt with his hardships and, and, and hard times. Uh, he takes so much from that. But again, that's because of that background that he has in both religion and psychology. Whereas if it was just your ordinary imam who had the Islamic understanding, oh, yeah. he might not be able to take that same thing from it. The, 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 see, the thing with the Islamic perspective when it comes to addictions is um, Islam is, is for everyone, and it, but everyone has their own interpretation of the religion as well. So, one of the things I'm finding is um, like like there's two there's two case like there's two cases I'm dealing with just now. Both cases are 
very religious backgrounds. So one of them mm-hmm. himself, the client, was was came from a very religious background, but um, things happen in his life and he's he's gone another way. And but the conversation that we have is, uh, you know, nine out of ten times, it always it always goes back to religion, mm-hmm. and it's his interpretation, and it's everything that he's taken in from the imams, um, from from talks that he's heard, from the religious text, and you know. It's 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 about kind of uh, opening that up and uh, and asking you know challenging him okay where did you learn this from you know how do you see it and uh, it's always negative it's always a negative thing um, from a family point of view it, it affects everyone in the family so um, for example um, if if the client's got ki- um, kids young you know kids definitely get affected because they miss out on on you know dad's time if if it's a male. And that's that plays a key part. Um, and for an addict, there's no, you know, they're just completely distracted. They don't see that, and it's about, you know, trying to hone them in and say, look, what's what like, what are the things that are really important to you? Um, you know, mums and dads, they definitely get affected. And the thing with the mosques is, I mean, we need services to link in, and you know, there are there are mosques out there that are are doing that and they're trying their their best. The other side of that is that we don't have enough. People that are from our communities doing this type of work, because we're in the helping, um, uh, like the help, like the the helping sector, just like um, you know, like we call it the voluntary sector, but there isn't enough. There's, I mean, there seems to be more uh, people from other communities coming forward that are not Muslim, and but if you look at, I mean, I don't know the exact stats. That's something that we're working on as well. But uh, being the only ethnic minority addiction service in Scotland. Um, the whole of Scotland. The whole of Scotland. It's it's um, it's it's a bit of a challenge because we're going round. Cause, cause what I'm doing is I'm working with uh, a couple of mosques in the local community just to kind of see, you know, what because there's a lot of parallels. So if you look at uh, even um, like you, you can interpret this right, um, the Bligi Jamaat. If you yeah. look at the Bligi Jamaat, for example, um, there's a lot of parallels with what the addiction services are doing with their clients. So a lot of it is around group settings. And I've um, I've been fortunate enough where well, like one of my clients has asked to uh, to go on the league and but what's happened is without um, my advice he's he's gone and he's taken on um, very early and now he's coming back um, you know the the uh, overwhelmed him too much uh, the environment and things going on and now the mosque fortunately they're saying well, look we need that we've actually realised that we need someone to. That's um, that works in this field to come support us and help us with that. Got something in place for the long term. Yeah. So basically, uh, from what I'm understanding, user, user, user growing, and you're realizing there's more work needs to be done, and you're but you're quite happy to uh, branch out and use what's mm-hmm. there. So yeah, like yeah. you said, you're you're now getting yeah. involved with the mosque. Yeah. You're now trying to uh, get involved with the other organisations that are out there, the addiction services. So maybe. Hopefully, by by coming on this uh, show and uh, talking about this, hopefully you might get people that will get in Inshallah. contact with you that might want to help out. Well, one of the uh, one of the other th- um, things that I would like to say, we're always looking for funding. We want to employ more people. We want to employ more young people. We want to be able to grow. There's the the areas are vast. You know, families. You know, people in prison, offenders, people out of prison, young people. It's a whole area that needs to be covered, and we're always looking for funding so we can employ more people and cover these areas. What what we're trying to do is is build, um, mm-hmm. like build on things that are already there. So, 
uh, rather than recreating the wheel. So one of the things, uh, you know, straight away I thought to myself is that we've got community hubs, we've got mosques, we've got other religious institutes that, that are willing to work with us. So you've got the churches, you've got um, the synagogues, etc. So we're, you know, we're open to everyone. But but the thing that we're focused on just now is is um, is, is the Muslim community, and the only reason for that is because most of our clients are from the Muslim community, and it's to be honest for me personally, it's a bit of it's it's, it's a no brainer to to you know to work with the the resources you know the resources that are already available. We've got lots of them, yeah. Yeah, I've been mean, lots of people that from the Muslim community as well as other communities that would happily vol- volunteer some of their time. Uh, happily would uh, you know contribute financially and I'm sure we've got you know plenty of uh, massages and places run about uh, Glasgow and across Scotland that uh, are not used 24 hours a day so yeah. I'm sure if you wanted to do like a drop-in sort of yeah. uh, cafe or something or set up some support need, groups yeah. you I would be able to yeah. do it. I think we do need some sort of community hub where women that can come in and we I'm not going to be shy about this a lot of Asian women are oppressed in their own homes I'm not saying all you know they have mother-in-law sister-in-laws and they can't come out we need to have a suitable sensitive community hub for them that um, you know that they can pop in and they can learn new skills even if it's computer classes or cooking or interaction you know positive networks build that so you know it's away from their norm because being in the home cooking cleaning looking after the husband it's a great job it's a hard job but you know for their own mental health and well-being a place for them where that they you know they feel that they're learning something and something yeah. is new and, and i guess them. i guess the idea of having these skills and stuff like you're saying you know you'd have them in doing learning how to use the computer yeah. or whatever is that um, I guess there might be a couple of issues. One that you know, confidence issues, so it will build their self esteem. Mm. But, but in actual fact, it's not the computing. It's not whatever that's it's going on. It's the support, social networking. Yeah, and, it's yeah, the support. Mix, yeah. And like you said, it's getting support from people that are like minded that have also maybe got families that are going through the addiction issues and stuff. So they're getting that um, that support. They don't feel that oh, I can't say anything because it will be an embarrassment. Mm. We're all not, here. Yeah. We're all in the same boat. Yeah, and it's not under the label of addiction because addiction is secondary. This place is a safe place for anybody to talk about any issues. You know, a place where they feel safe and say, look, you know, this is happening in my family. And maybe a younger mother can learn from an older mother. Well, I've been through this, you know, with my boy. Try this, try that. And it's about building skills and, um, you know, and, and, you know, creating happy and healthy, you know, futures for everybody. The imams that I've spoken to, they, they totally get it. They understand mm. and they're, you know, like to be fair to them, they've got a hard enough job as it is and they're happy for the for anyone to come and support. Um, the problem seems to be, not the problem, but the, 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 the challenge. challenge. The challenge is is, is, is is the rest of the community and I think it's to do with education. So if you see someone who's an addict, there's, there's the... Negativity. There's a negativity because of the way the person looks. So someone who's an ex-edone addict or an alcoholic, You'll be able to see that you know there's something wrong with the pair. People like are not daft. Um, they're like yeah. they can see, um, visually, but it's unfair on that person because that person's in just in a he's a, he or she's in a certain state, mm. like just like any other person. So I can be, I can get angry very quickly, and people would want to speak to me because I'm in that state. Uh, but on it's like like that's the way I look at it. And then looking at the prophetic, um, tradition, if you there's there's a couple of examples. So if you know there's a like. I don't know the exact words, but the Prophet Sallallahu when there was a guy who, who um, who urined in the in, in the mosque 
and people made a big fuss about it and then the prophet, the way he dealt with it was very calmly and he just said, look, just spill water over it and, you know, speak to him and, you know, inshallah, it, it won't happen again. This is, a, and, and like another example is, um, I was thinking of is the alcohol example. So how did alcohol actually stop? It didn't stop straight away. People were still drinking, where even when the Prophet was here, it was done It was done slowly and it was done with understanding and it was done through examples. So uh, example being the Prophet Sallallahu So uh, we have got great resources there and the Imams, like I said, uh, the Imams I've spoken to, um, a few of them, none of them have said, you know, go away. They've all said, you know what, this is this is really crucial, this is about life and death mm-hmm. at times as well. And um, we would love it if you can come in, but it's getting past the, you know, the rest of the kind of the stigmas that are yeah. attached to it. Well, I guess uh, this is was also an idea of this show, you know, yeah. that, uh, why have a show, you know, within... Uh, sort of a Muslim sort of media organisation that's just focusing on addiction because as we all know myself as well the type of work I do that we see it's an issue you know and it's it is something that's very misunderstood and maybe if we just shine some light on it uh, a bit of education we start to get past that stigma and then and it's happening everywhere. I mean, yeah. almost every home is either addicted, yeah. uh, either affected directly or indirectly, yeah. i.e., that someone else is addicted, whether in this country, whether in Pakistan or wherever. Yeah. It, it's widespread. So, um, I like I always say on many of the shows, uh, you know, it's in our collective interest to deal with it. We have uh, to. We yeah. No I mean, like the yeah. the prophet, some give an example of uh, a ship, you know, and people on the lower deck and upper deck. And the people yeah. in the Lord deck make a hole. So, and okay, that was related to people who break the commandments of Allah and don't. But the idea being that if you see things in society which, oh, you don't like, or they're, they're bad, they're not good, and addiction isn't a good thing, and especially the effects of it that can lead to crime, it can lead to domestic violence, it can lead to other things. So, okay, now do we just ignore it? Because mm. if we ignore it, then the ship's going to sink. Yeah. And when the ship sinks, everyone drowns. Or do we go, right, okay, Let's learn a little bit about this. Let's engage. Let's see what we can do. And I'm sure, you know, with the type of uh, the community that we are, we're, we're well developed in Glasgow and across Scotland. We're not first generation migrants, you know. Mm. Some people are, you know, they're not, they're not migrants at all. They're, you know, they've now come to Islam or they've grown up. They're second, third generation migrants. So now what we need to kind of do is look at all the skills that are out there, come together and... Uh, bang our heads together and go, right, Let's how do we move forward? So I hope that from this, uh, inshallah, especially for you guys now, I've, I had never heard of your organisation, sorry to say, but I'd never heard of MCAS, and, you know, that's been running since 2012, um, but it was just someone who gave me your, your contact. Um, and this is, so hopefully now people know this is out there okay. as well. And yeah. uh, I hope that people will contact you. Yeah, so all the details are on the back if you can read the details out at the yeah. end. Yeah, well, she, hopefully she we'll try and put this... In the middle, or, sorry. Hopefully we'll try and get this, uh, maybe a copy of it put up mm-hmm. uh, along with our podcast, if possible, or something with it, to, just to show people. She, she but you can go to uh, mcas uh, with a little dash, uh, and then scotland.co.uk. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure if you just go on, you Google MCAS, uh, yeah. you should get something. But if not, get in contact with us. Yeah. The, the we're station on Facebook, everything's in there. We're on Twitter as well. Yeah. yeah. The, I, mean, I mean, the thing with uh, not hearing about MCAS, um, 
think, I, think I, 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 I think one of the things, important things is to know is that because we do such sensitive work, That's it, confidentiality yeah. is huge. So we're not like a service where... In your face. Yeah, you know, we're going to put pictures up or, you know, happy chappy kind of thing, or even for funding reasons, we don't do that. Um, it's, it's strictly kind of confidential and... Um, and 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 a lot of services that are kind of the smaller groups, what they tend to do is provide support through, um, you know, like pictures and uh, putting yep. on the media. We but, don't do that. But with yeah. this, no. it's, it's more, more like see to be honest, most of the kind of clients in the past we've had is as as through word of mouth, mm-hmm. and it's very much um, because of sensitivity. Yeah. yeah. Now what we're trying to do, I mean, being on the radio and also working with more partners, um. Again, it's uh, it's the same kind of thing that you hear now and then. Yeah. You say, you know, we've never heard of you. Um, so, and for me, it's like a positive thing on one end because it's like you know what, um, we're still going out there and we're we're doing the work. we're doing the work, changing people's lives. But maybe we should work with yeah certain but, well, know, like I mean, I said, I, community I, hubs. Yeah, but I mean, I think you can like take examples from like um, organisations that like what families that we also know of other organizations so they're very confidential and very professional but at the same time representatives from their organization do come on radio do get out there and in the community and do things not to talk about people's personal issues but just to raise the issue and then say you know what if you are or anyone you know that's you know affected Mm -hmm. by it we're the guys it's, to it's contact. It's funny you should say that you've not heard, but I've been here and a few of the girls have been saying bye to me. So I suppose it depends on what networks you're in. You know, they all know me, we all know them. And it is a small world, but in places probably where we deliver and the events we do, you know, maybe, you know, there is an area that... Um, and I think it's the male areas that we need to, you know, I mean, um, yeah. uh, to deliver into. I mean, you know, in researching this, I did, you know, go all out trying to find different Islamic organisations and things and other organisations that were working, and I didn't come across anything. But again, it might just be that I'm not good at searching. But, no, but, yeah, but eventually we did find you. <laughs> yeah. We did find you. So you're here now, so alhamdulillah. Um, now, I'm just conscious of time, so I want to move on uh, a little bit, yeah. um, which is maybe looking at the work that... Uh, you also, I heard you're involved in, which is preventing the next generation become going towards addiction. Yeah. So, so what does that involve? Um, so why 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 did you set that up, or is it? It's crucial to do that. It's um you know it's I mean like you said it's the next generation and learning from the people that we're working with already. Um you know family life matters. That's the name of our main project, and uh, you know we we see firsthand um you know young people yeah. getting affected. Young people from as early as five, six, seven, eight, but or even one year old. I've seen little toddlers. You know the behaviour is affected. And surely, if the the mother is carrying the child and she's addicted, then that's going to have direct issues. Yeah, that's physical issues. Issue. Yeah, but the but the thing I think this the service that we're um they're working on and it's already you know we've piloting it in, in a few schools as well. It's it's at the age of kind of twelve plus where we've realised that something goes wrong within that household and the schools um, and even some of the kind of local the outreach services that we're working with um, they've come forward and said look we don't know exactly what's going on we have got a little bit of an inkling and then most of the time you find out that there's some type of addiction so you know you'll have um, a family member in prison for example because of addictions and it might be gambling it might be smoking you know it might be the hard drugs um, like, like different things 
and then his son or daughter they've ha- they're having to pick up all the pieces so mum doesn't speak english and 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 the son's doing his exams and you know he's just kicked off he's got in a fight or you know he's he's got unusual behavior and mm-hmm. um, or the old person he's dabbling you know they're and, they're trying yeah. and they're getting lifted by the police every weekend and what the know. schools I, exactly so what the schools tend to do is that the first protocol is when they sit in their you know kind of um early effective intervention teams they they think about mental health so they say right that we'll, you know we'll put him forward for mental health you know wee man's not going to go to mental health that's bottom line because he's thinking i don't need I, like i need like, i don't need Nothing to see a shrink yeah. um then the next protocol normally is, is that they like, will engage with the parents and a lot of bme communities when you look at schools um and this is through my experience connection with the parents is very low and then eventually you know there's the, the you know the schools kind of get a little bit desperate they they won't admit it most of the time depending on what school it is and then they think to themselves right um what like like we'll have to look at a positive outcome for this young person and move them on and which means expelling the young person or trying you know try and get them into a college or something like that and then it's just a vicious cycle because the addiction is still there um the young the person problems the there, problems yeah. are still there so um i've always said this this is something that i've learned in my previous work um you know with a bme young man or 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 women they they don't start off with alcohol compared to the white community because alcohol isn't isn't in their household it's not something that's um you know been normalized for them so they always start off with fags like cigarettes then it goes on to cannabis then from cannabis it goes on to mixing with tablets so you got your blues or you've got your um you know the you know the mixture of uh toxic tablets whatever what you know whatever they call it in the streets now and then it moves on to alcohol and when it gets to alcohol then they start mixing it's a it's a cocktail and, and by the lifestyle and the, the lifestyle then by that time it's too late and sometimes what happens is some of the schools um i mean i've worked with young females from from the muslim community and in my previous job that are in um secure homes because that's happened to them and the they've been chucked out of the house they've been totally kind of uh, ostracized from ostracized the family. from the family and i've seen them in in states where they're completely drunk and they're saying to me that um you know my mum doesn't love me my dad doesn't love me my dad passed away and my mum doesn't my mum's marrying someone else it's things like that it's always like a underlying issue going on but no one's actually listened to that person and I mean like you said one size doesn't fit all so the social work services and all these services they do their best but what happens is they just look at the safety aspect which is 100% I agree with as well but there are other things that they need to look at they need to look at for like one inf- intervention into but you would um, expect that with this new girlfriend getting it right for every child especially at school you would expect that in theory it's supposed to work better it's supposed to get everybody around the table so that everybody is taking a holistic approach Um, but you, in your experience, but again, some work needed to be done. From my experience, working with Girfek, or I used to be called More Choices, More Chances, um, within the schools. Um, I think it's now called Opportunities for All. I'm working with the schools. I always have. That's been my kind of bag. Nine out of ten times, I'm the only Asian face sitting in those meetings, uh, or if you want to say, or the only Muslim. And what happens is, um, again, the schools are trying their best. their utmost best they 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 try and link in with the teachers the uh, sorry the community organizations so you've got like um the princess trust you've got 
Bernardo's, you've got uh, the activity agreements, they're all there and they're doing fantastic work. It's just when it comes to this type of, you know, these kind of communities, the BME communities, there isn't that... Grassroots. Th yeah, there isn't much grassroots um, support. It's, it's very much, um, like, we'll take this young person out, we'll do a bit of work and we'll put them on a programme. But they're missing out on a whole piece of work around the family. They're working, uh, the, you know, the, the kind of cultural point of view, so... What, what area are they from, you know, what's what's going on within their community, um, you know, all, all these kind of aspects. So, again, going back to the same thing with what we're doing with um, what we were talking about earlier on, it's it's partnership work that's needed. There's a, there's a little bit of knowledge and understanding from both ends uh, that's needed and, um, you know... Prevention. Prevention, yeah, exactly. Prevention work within the school, you know, like with the young people. So... Um, a lot of the times, the school, the, the school is a connection to start the work, but what happens is that it quickly moves into the community. So because the school's there, it's fine. But then you know the young person will stop attending school because like most of the time they've got high rates of um, low attendance. So we need to work with the family, and then we need to work with you know who who else is this young person connecting with before it gets to a stage, which unfortunately most of the time, with my experience, you only find out about. What, what the young person's going through um, when they're about to get in a secure home. And that's yeah, because of yeah, yeah. that's because of the way the system is. So, so, so a big part of this is like, I, I remember listening to a show by one of the sheikhs from Glasgow that was talking about people with marriage issues and he says many times people come to him right at the end when it's like too late, you know, yeah. it's like you're just on the brink of divorce oh. and uh, why, why didn't you come when, you know, when there was early sort of uh, signs? That there was a problem, and I guess you are saying the same that you know the earlier that yeah. that people are able to know about it and get involved, there's more chance the person will be able to be helped rather than you know when it's a full blown addiction mm -hmm. and now they're about to you know yeah. get put into a secure unit or go to prison or whatever and then you go right let's start dealing with it. Mm -hmm. You're really struggling. Yeah, the fault. I'm 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 not trying to put fault or blame on anyone. It's 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 nobody's fault. I think it's things just the happen. way. Things yeah, happen in life, and it's how we deal with them. You know. Yeah. I think. And um, it's good to learn from it. Yeah. yeah. And one of the main things I'm I'm a true believer. You know, um, in our communities, we hide a lot of things. I think open communication is the key. We speak about alcohol. We speak about drugs. You know, we have these conversations with our children, you know, and not in from a religious point, but, you know, just open communication to look at the harms, you know, to keep that conversation going so children learn from it within their homes and not their friends out there on the street corners that are doing it, yeah. you know. So just to wrap up, inshallah, um, would there be any final comment or advice that you would like to give to the community? I would like to say if anybody's got a problem within their families, you know, please come forward. All the details are on the, the leaflet. If you can give the details out, that'd be great. The support is confidential. We can work with them um, as and when, um, based on their own needs. Yeah, um, I think for me it's, it's um, the services that I've touched on. Um, I think it's crucial that uh, you know, we're, you know, we're willing and we're open to work with, with other services in partnership because we know there are a number of organisations working with um, similar type of um stuff that we're doing however you know um you know it'll be good to work in partnership and a kind of you know we can give them a lot of case studies we can give them a lot of um you know the kind of challenges and issues that our communities are facing yeah yeah well why not set up a fundraiser and you know get the community involved now that you you've had your, they've had the chance to 
to hear about the work that you're doing. Yeah. Why not put something on, inshallah? So just for everyone, um, for everyone's information, we have some details here. So it's um, MCAS, so that's M C A S, uh, which stands for Minority Communities Addiction Support Services. Um, the contact information is mobile phone number zero seven 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 nine four 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 three two four. You can email uh, capital M C A S with a dash, then capital S, uh, and then all the rest is lowercase, uh, which is Scotland. So the capital S is for Scotland, at uh, live dot com. Uh, we also have the website here www.mcas-dash scotland.co.uk all lowercase and you can also go on facebook and at facebook you're looking for mca double uh, mcas uh, scotland and you should be able to find them on facebook yeah. as well yeah we're also on twitter um, just recently so the twitter handle is at mcas scott okay so jazakallah khair to all the listeners for listening in and to my guests for your uh, precious time. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum.